I am uh, going to sit on this stool because you remember that little story about me laying in my front yard, right? Well, I re-injured it this week, so I can't drive. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Everybody rushing to get my water. Throw that down again. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, my foot hurts, so, and uh, I can't really stand on it. And uh, for some reason, it's on fire right now. I'm not real sure. <laughs> Something happened earlier. I'm not real sure what. But, uh, oh, yeah, the sermon's on fire. Well, I don't know if the sermon is, but hopefully the word is, and I know it usually is. So we, uh, we're glad you're here today. Uh, odd, oddly enough, here we are. This is, uh, uh, it, well, this past week on the 2nd of January, if you didn't know that, uh, we surpassed 14 years of meeting as 24 Church. Is that not amazing? That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. I, I got to do it just out of curiosity. Who, who was, is there anybody in here that was there the first day? Anybody that'll claim it? My man, my man, Stephen Carr back there was there the first day. Anybody else? Jerry Walker, he's walking down the steps. Doc was, Doc was here first day. He was cheating on his church at that time when he was, when he was with us. He, uh, he wasn't 24 yet. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, man, did we, did we ever not know uh, that uh, 14 years later that uh, I wouldn't be able to walk and Nathan would be down on his back. So how, how, fit, how fitting is that? Time, time. <laughs> I hear country songs playing, playing in the background. <laughs> you hear that steel guitar? I hear it. Oh man, uh, what a what a good fourteen years it's been, man. It's it's we've we've been through so many things. I, I could, uh, you know, I could just talk about that, uh, but uh, uh, that's that's not why we got here today. Uh, but I, I will say this: glory to God and what He's done, uh, because it's all Him. It's uh, it's not because of man. Uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, uh, th- this 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 body of believers is full of a bunch of idiots. And uh, and uh, all of all of our pastors are idiots and uh, everything else and uh, you know I mean and it's okay and we're good with it. Uh, the Lord is the Lord works despite us and, and He constantly reminds us that that He doesn't need us to be uh, you know perfect and all those things because He is uh, and 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 we lean in on that and and that's a lot of the DNA of this church and I have people talk to me about things like the transparency and you know that kind of thing. Oh, what's up, T? Uh, that uh, uh, that uh, you know we have here, and I'll be honest with you, I don't really know. I don't think we would have it any other way. I don't know how. I don't know how we would do it any other way, uh, and it feel real. Uh, and and I guess that's you know I, I know people say, well, that's the difference is that it feels real and that kind of thing. Now I appreciate that. I do. I, I you know, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's 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 because of what God's done that we're here. Uh, it's because of what he's done that we're still here 14 years later, starting on season 15, if you will. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome. So uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you who uh, have served faithfully, have uh, attended and been a part, uh, have been a part of the Serve Sundays, have uh, been a part of, of major changes that we've gone through along the way. Um, you know, there, there's, so, there's so many stories to tell. I mean, you know, there, there was a point in time when we had 30 families literally sign on the dotted line that they would vouch for this church 
to take on the loan that we're, to get the building that we're sitting in right now. I mean, literally put everything they had on the line. And, and many of those families are still a part of this church. Uh, you know, and it, and it just, you know, the bank, bank didn't think we would have that many people. And I think when <laughs> they told us that if we, if we would do that, they would give us the loan. And then we did it, and the first bank anyway. When, when we did it, we went back to them, and they said, well, we can't give you the loan. And we were like, what are you talking about? We just asked all these people to do this crazy thing that you ask us to ask them to do. And, and you asked for like 20 families. We've got like 30 just because people were like, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. You know, and, uh, and they were like, we're sorry, we, we can't do it. There's too much of a, of a liability if something were to happen and it would look bad on us if we went after these families and all this stuff. I was like, well, nothing's going to happen. And they're like, you know, well, we don't know that. I was like, well, we do. You know, so we didn't we didn't sign up for this to to kick it to the curb overnight or something. So uh, it, it's it's truly amazing. So anyway, th- thank you to all of you that uh, have been have been through here the long haul, and to those of you that just joined in. Thank you, thank you for coming and being a part of this. And I hope you know that this to in in for us and in our hearts, we want this to be for the glory of God, and uh, and we pray that uh, that it would be uh, for you. Uh, we pray that we could minister to you. We pray that you'd find your place to minister here as well. Uh, in the coming days, and uh, get plugged in, uh, get to know people. Don't don't fall into that. Just go to on Sunday thing. That that's that's for the birds. Uh, you'll you'll never get. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be pleased with it. You'll go you'll go looking for another church in a few months or something and wonder why. Uh, you know we'd love to help you plug in. Let us help you get plugged in. Uh, talk to them at the desk or whatever we can do, and uh, and we'll do that. Um. All right. Uh. Really wasn't gonna say all that, but there we are. Um, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Let's go to the book of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles. They would be glad to bring you one. Uh, just throw your hand up and let them get you one. And uh, we will uh, follow along in God's Word together today. Uh, we're going back to the book of Mark today. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Mark. Uh, and we are uh, about midway through chapter 10 uh, I forget when we started this, uh, maybe April or so last year, uh, something like that. I can't remember. Uh, it doesn't really matter, uh, but uh, it's, uh, man, it's been, it's been good. It's been so good for us and so good for me personally. Um, uh, by the way, if you uh, haven't gotten uh, to look at the uh, reading plan, if you want to attempt to read through the New Testament this year, not the whole Bible, the New Testament, uh, we've got a reading plan out. Uh, that you can follow along with us, and a lot of people in our church are doing this. In fact, I've even had uh, people telling me that their micro church is doing it, their micro groups doing it, uh, to just kind of follow along and kind of puts everybody on the same page. It's a great, it's a great thing to like say, hey, do you want to get together once a week and and talk with somebody else, with a couple other people, a couple other ladies, a couple other guys, whatever. Um, for single guys, you might say a couple other ladies. I don't know, um, but um, whatever works. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, for real, we, we, we'd love for you to follow along with us in that. Uh, it just started this past week. It's totally attainable to, to catch up and, and, uh, and to jump in with us on that. We'd love for you to do that. And, and honestly, I think it's probably where if somebody showed up in six months, they could jump on, on it just where it is, and, uh, and it'd be a good thing for them. And so uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's going on, and, and the info is on uh, the Facebook page, I know, and on the website, and uh, I think we've got sheets out there at the desk and all that too, so... Uh, if you want to want to jump in with us, we'd love for you to do that. But uh, it'll it'll put you reading uh, the entire New Testament and the Psalms and the Proverbs, uh, the Proverbs, Proverbs 
through uh, by the end of the year, which is pretty cool. So uh, I know for a lot of people, they find it daunting to do the whole Bible. So we're like, hey, let's let's try to let's try to do something. Let's put something in front of people that's attainable and uh, and helpful uh, just to get them in the Word. Uh, that's that's what we want to do. We want people to to be disciples and to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And the truth is, you can come listen to as many messages as you want. And uh, I'll again remind you that I'm an idiot and that uh, I, I have a great chance of screwing this up, and God's the one that kind of saves it every week. Uh, and so uh, that being said, I mean, it's spending time in his word that is really going to speak to your heart, and it's going to change your life. Uh, it's going to mold you and shape you into who he wants you to be, and that's, that's good stuff. So anyway, all right, uh, John chapter 10. Uh, John chapter 10 is where we're going today. <clears throat> and, um, you know, in this passage of Scripture, we've got uh, one of these stories that if you've been around the church for any length of time, you probably are familiar with this story. You've probably heard it before. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, uh, I was reading I'm reading a few books, uh, kind of on again, off again, different things. Uh, and, and one of those books is King's Cross, and that's a, a Keller book uh, that uh, is, is kind of based around, it is based around, not kind of, is based around the book of Mark. And uh, there's, a, there's a little excerpt in this book uh, that talks about a fellow that uh, is a uh, historian of world Christianity. His name is Andrew Walls. And I wanted to read to you just a little synopsis of something that he has, he has kind of made a point uh, of an understanding for us that I think is important for us today. And uh, in, this, in this passage, uh, we have... Um, him saying this. So let's just, I'll just read this. And this pertains to what we're talking about today, which is why I'm sharing it too, with you. Uh, this is out of chapter 11 of King's Cross by Tim Keller. Uh, it says, in an interview with Andrew Walls, distinguished historian of world Christianity noted that wherever other great world religions began, that is still their center today. Islam started in Arabia and Mecca and the Middle East is still the center of Islam today. Buddhism started in the Far East, and that's still the center of Buddhism. Uh, so too with Hinduism. It began in India, and it's still predominantly an Indian religion. Christianity is the exception. Christianity's center is always moving, always on a pilgrimage. The original center of Christianity was Jerusalem, but then the Hellenistic Gentiles, who were considered the unwashed barbarians, embraced Christianity with such force that soon the center of Christianity moved to the Hellenistic Mediterranean world, to Alexandria, North Africa, and Rome, and it stayed there for a number of centuries. Hang in here with me. But then another set of un unwashed barbarians, the northern Europeans, Franks and Anglo-Saxons and Celts, so took hold of, of, the, of Christian faith that soon the center of Christianity migrated again to northern Europe. There and in North America, through colonization and immigration, the center has rested for a thousand years, but recently is shifting again. In the 20th century, Christianity receded in Europe and in North America, and just barely, uh, it just barely kept up with the population growth. Meanwhile, in Latin America, Asia... In Africa, it has been growing at up to 10 times the population growth rate. In the past decade, a major corner was turned. More than 50% of Christians in the world now live in the southern hemisphere. 
For example, at the turn of the century, in the, in the United States, there were roughly 2.5 million Episcopalians, Episcopalians and other Anglicans in Nigeria alone. There were 17 million Anglicans. In Uganda, there were 8 million. Thus, in just those two countries, there live more than 10 times the number in the United States In the year 1900, Africa was only 1% Christian. Now Christians make up nearly half the African population. In the next 50 to 70 years, the center of Christianity is predicted to, to complete this shift away from European countries and from the United States. It will migrate as it always migrates. Always migrates. Why? Check this out. In the interview, Andrew Walsey was asked, why does this happen? If the centers of other religions remain constant, why does the center of Christianity constantly change? Walls replied, one must concede, I think, that there is a certain vulnerability, a fragility at the heart of Christianity. You might say that this is the vulnerability of the cross. The heart of the gospel is the cross, and the cross is about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. I'm going to say that again. The cross is about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. Walls hinted that when Christianity is in a place of power and wealth for for a long period, the radical message of sin and grace and the cross can become muted or even lost. Then Christianity starts to transmute into a nice, safe religion, one that's for respectable people who try to be good, and eventually it becomes virtually dormant in those places and the sinner moves somewhere else. So what he's talking about is this understanding that something happens with, obviously he's talking about world religions and then talks about Christianity and the idea that it moves around, uh, Christianity moves around, that the other world religions do not. Um, and, and that a large part of this is because of the centrality of what the message of the gospel is, which is that it's not about us, and it's not about our stuff, and that we're to give all that up to follow him. Well, that's, that's, that's tough. I mean, let's just face it, that's tough. And this passage today is equally tough because that's what it's about. Uh, and so this morning, I, I want to share this passage with you, and I think, I think that uh, it will be a blessing to all of us as we uh, read through it this morning, and uh, I hope that it is. I hope that God speaks to your heart through it. Mark 10, Mark 10, verse 17, we have this passage, which is known uh, to many as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is a guy who comes along. Uh, we know he's young. We know he's got a lot of money. Uh, you know, I've read, <laughs> read theologians that were talking about, well, if he's rich and he had a lot of money, that meant he was probably good-looking too. I don't know uh, if I want to go that far or not. I mean, he can make those arguments, I guess. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, you know, I've, I've got the great Gatsby for some reason in my head, you know, as I'm reading through this uh, because, of, because of seeing, you know, somebody say that. But uh, uh, this passage uh, challenges us where we are. It challenges us with what we have. It challenges us with what we give. And, and it's just, it's, it's part of Christ's teaching and understanding for us 
uh, today that, that Jesus would say the things that he did in this passage, I think, is just ultimately amazing and good for us to hear. Verse 17, let's just, let's just read. It says this. It says, And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, i got to tell you, the first time that I read that, that was confusing to me because I, I was like, why is Jesus saying that nobody's good but God alone and we all know he's God, you know? Uh, you know, that's confusing. The, the deal is, is that he knows that this God doesn't know that he's God. And so he's, he's kind of coming back around and going, why are you calling me good? You don't really know who I am, is might as well be what he's saying here. And it says in verse 19, it says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus, Jesus answers his question, you know, with, you know, why do you call me good? And you know the commandments. Now, of course, Jesus never met this guy until, you know, here in this moment. Of course, Jesus created the guy, so, you know, you could, you could make that argument or whatever, but uh, this guy never met Jesus. And so Jesus comes back with starting to quote these different commandments. If you'll notice, though, Jesus doesn't quote all of the commandments. Jesus doesn't quote the very first one. He doesn't quote the second one. He doesn't quote the fourth one. I think the fifth one. Uh, he even leaves out one on the end. Uh, you know, he, he quotes a bunch of them, but he's kind of specific with which ones he quotes. And in verse 20, it says, And he said to him, Teacher, all, of, all these I have kept from my youth. Bull hockey. And... Jesus, that's not in Scripture, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Come follow me. You have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Um, so Jesus and this guy have this kind of back and forth. And it lays out, it's laying out kind of this, you know, he, he's wanting to know how to get to heaven. This is the classic, like, you know, tell me Jesus how to get to heaven type deal, you know? And, 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 it, and, it's, and it's going further than I think this guy probably expected it to. This guy was just looking for a quick equation. Yeah, and, and to kind of, to be fair, you know, to be fair to people that were trying to follow God uh, pre-Jesus uh, coming into the world, most of those people at that point in time, it was fairly normal that those people were just trying to keep the commandments. You know, what they knew as far as like being forgiven of their sin and being loved by God was that they should keep the commandments. And then that was, you know, that was it. That was the thing. You know, that it was totally like a guilt-based, like, you know, you don't show up on church on Sunday, you know, sorry, you know, those sins not forgiven, you know, or whatever, you know, kind of thing. And so, you know, that's, that's totally, totally not what Christ would want, uh, what God wanted for us. But that's what they were, that's kind of what they were abiding by. And so when Jesus starts rolling out some of these commandments, you know, he's, he's just saying, well, dude, you already know, right? You already know how to get to heaven. You already know you got to keep these commandments, you know, uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, you know, these things. And the guy's, of course, like, you know, you know, I haven't done any of that. I'm good. I'm good to go, you know. Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So this passage has been this passage that for a million years has created this question, is it wrong for us to own things? Is it wrong for us, is it wrong for us to, to have even excelled maybe in business or life or in some way, things like that? And, and, and the answer, I think, is no. In fact, I know the answer is no. Uh, so why did he say that to this guy? And I still think that this is worth us checking our hearts here because that's what's important to Jesus in the end of all this. Jesus asks this guy this question because he knows something about this guy that we didn't know about this guy other than we know that he's a rich young ruler. We know that he's, you know, some young, apparently debonair, handsome, you know, really made it, made it, made it on his own kind of guy. You know, I don't know, maybe he got it all passed down, all we know. But anyway, we know, we know just enough about this guy, and, but Jesus actually knows this guy. Even though Jesus just met this guy, let's face it, it's Jesus, and he knows this guy, and he knows his heart. And he knew the second that that guy walked up and asked him this question, he knew what was going on in that guy's heart. Just like, newsflash, Jesus knows what's going on in your heart. Did you know that? I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a little piece of humble pie for you if you thought you were doing life alone. Jesus knows what's going on in your heart. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing for us. And it was a good thing for this guy. You know, I, I, want, I want you to look at something that Jesus, verse 20, let's read that again. It says, and he said to him, teacher, all I have kept from my youth, talking about all those commandments that Jesus listed off, uh, and then verse 21, it says, and Jesus looked, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. You know, and I think, that that's, I think that's super important to the context of this conversation because if, we're, if we weren't careful, it would be easy for us to go, oh, well, you know, maybe Jesus was having a bad day and, you know, he was just, uh, you know, he was just at a point uh, in, his, in his ministry or in his life where, you know, he was, you know, he saw this guy, he had a lot of money, and he was probably thinking to himself, well, I wish I had a lot of money you know, or something like that. No, 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 no. This isn't Jesus being bitter with an answer. Jesus isn't saying, you lack one thing, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, come follow me, because he's angry at this guy or jealous of this guy. We have context for Jesus's feelings toward this guy in verse 21, and it says, and Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Jesus knew that this guy worshiped his money. Jesus knew that his God was not God. And I think for us, that is the gut check. I think for us to ask ourselves those questions, is there anything that we couldn't live without if it came down to where it was just us and, and the Lord alone? Is, is there anything, anything that would just set us, set us off? We couldn't do it. We couldn't follow him. You know, we couldn't live without it. How much do we love other things in this world? That's a hard question. It's a hard question for us to ask, but it's an important question for us to ask. It's a super important question for us to ask. We have to know where we stand with that. 
We have to know where we stand with, is God truly our Savior? Do we really look to Jesus to be the one to save us, or are we looking to other things in this world to save us? I had the privilege of, of having a, a close friend, a good friend, who uh, uh, is at a point in his life, he's older, he's at a point in his life where he's, he's, um, he's, he's done extremely well for himself. I mean extremely well for himself. As a car guy, I just like to go to his house and just like, look, like, oh, yeah, those are, that's fun. This is, can I drive one? No, okay. Maybe next time. Um, can't even drive myself right now. Uh, so, um, but no, uh, you know, but here, let me tell you what, I, I just, I, I see Christ in this man, and, and, here's, and here's where. Uh, he's at a point in his life where he realizes, you know, he's, he's, the Lord has blessed him with the things that he's got, uh, but he doesn't want those things to be a burden on his family if something were to happen to him, and he's already started just saying, you know, and he, there's nothing wrong with him, but he's like, you know what, Chris, I think we need, I think I need your help, I think we need to start, like, getting rid of some of this stuff, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll find some garage space. Uh, you know. <laughs> kidding, kidding. And, but I said, yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be glad to help you or whatever, you know. Uh, but it, but it, it, it's just, I, I think that we've got to be at that place at all times. We've got to be at a place at all times where we can't just cut bait and walk away, you know. Like we can't love this stuff that much. When, when, we, when we start to do that, it gets in the way of our love for God. It changes our relationship with Him. Like, and, 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 here's, and here's what happens with it. I mean, we don't just do it over possessions. We do it over jobs and job descriptions and uh, relationships or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you know, God is the one who saves us. And, and if we truly want to grow in Him and experience who He is, then He will be our God. And if we don't, then we'll go make something else our God. I mean, it's just that simple. In verse 22, I want you to see this guy's response, okay? Disheartened by the saying, he went away sor sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly, talking about the disciples, they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Now, let me kind of pause right here because I think, I think this brings about something else that true to the period of time in which Jesus is saying this and being taught, that this is being taught, is that you have literally centuries upon centuries of people who were trying to follow God that many of them had ascribed to something that people are still ascribing to in 2019, and that's this. That if you're wealthy, God must bless you, and if you're poor, then God does not. And that is a bunch of junk. That is a false gospel. There are plenty of people teaching it. You guys have heard me talk about it before. If you're new to 24, you're not going to hear that junk preached here. If, you, if, if somebody does, they're going to get a roundhouse kick to the face, okay? Like it is called, it is, yeah, 
Roadhouse, thank you. Patrick Swayze. Where have you been for months now? Come on. So you trying you're just trying to get me to do stand up is what you're trying to do. I'm trying and I'm trying not to, you know? So so a false gospel uh, that uh, that many people believe in, uh, and it's and it's and it's unfortunate because because there are literally literally tons and tons of people that are being sold on this idea that if you give more, then God's going to bless you more, and that if you and it and it's some kind of like it's some kind of like great interest rate system that God's got going on, that if we'll follow that. And we'll give to a church, lay your hand on the TV and pull your credit card out with the other one and give us your credit card number, you know, kind of thing. Listen, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's called the prosperity gospel. And it's a false gospel. That's not ever once what Jesus taught. We are called to give. We're definitely called to give. And, and do, you know why, do you know why God calls us to give? Do you know why it's important that we don't not give? Let me tell you, here's the secret. You ready for it? It's so we won't love that stuff too much. It's a heart check for us. The Old Testament, yeah, we see a tithe being given. That's 10%. People, I've had somebody recently ask me, somebody just started coming to church and said, what do, you, what do you think about the tithe and giving and all that stuff? And I said, you know what? I think it's a great place to start. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, I said, because I see in the New Testament, Jesus just saying, give it all and let's go, you know? And so, and so it becomes a, what can we do with what God has given us to manage? Because we're not owners, folks. We're managers. It's not ours. It's his. We suddenly see it all very differently when it comes to that place. When we get to that place, we see it all so very differently. And I think that that's important for us today. I think it's important for us to recognize today that, that my, my giving, number one, should not be based on guilt. You won't catch us trying to guilt you into giving. Uh, that's, that's no way to give. We're called to give with joy. Again, this goes back to a heart issue that if, 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 you come, if you're at a place where you have a hard time giving a lot away, you probably love it too much. And I, and I say it, I'm not even just talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about uh, your treasures, what, what, whatever that stuff is. You know, if somebody has need and you got something that they really need, give it to them. Put it on them. Chris, I worked really hard for that thing. You know what? Who's really providing? Who's really providing for us? Do we really think that we are the ones really providing for ourselves? The Lord is the one who provides for us. The disciples were astonished. <laughs> Remember that the, the, the you know the guy the guy goes away sorrowful. The disciples hear Jesus teach all this. They're amazed at his words, and then they are astonished at what he's saying. Why are they astonished? They're astonished because they had been ascribing to this whole idea that that being a Christian was about being rich. You see how jacked up like they were with like their understanding of their faith? Like they thought that being the chosen people of God was about them being rich here with this and you know and and but not not the kind of rich that that, that God had, had been talking about all through scripture, not the kind of rich that Jesus was talking about. Jesus is talking about a whole different kind 
of being rich when he talks about rich, that we might be rich with him, that we might be a part of his family, that we might be rich with joy and love. You know, and, and these are things that everybody says they want. Oh, I, want I just want to be happy. You know, people say, well, I want to make enough money to be happier. I want enough stuff to be happier. You know, I want to be in a relationship to be happy. Folks, that'll never happen. Those things don't, in essence, by themselves make us happy. We can enjoy them, and God has called us to do so, and has called us to glorify him in how we enjoy them. But at the end of the day, those are not the things that will make us happy. It is Christ alone that makes us happy. And that's why when we switch gods, we find ourselves miserable. We find ourselves like kicking rocks and going, oh, God, trying, I'm going to church, I'm trying to do better, I'm trying to, you know, what did Jesus say? Why'd you call me good? Why, you think, you, oh, 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 you call me good because you're working on the equation system. You're working on the check them off system. I haven't done that one. I haven't done that one. I haven't done that one. Over here in the good column, I have done this one. I have done this one. I have done this one. I mean, that's, that's the way so many folks have grown up, especially in the South, in the way Scripture has been taught at times, that even still from the things that we see the disciples struggling with, that that has trickled down into us, that we still at times go back to this legalism thing where we think it's about what we do right and what we do wrong. Folks, that stuff doesn't save us. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Jesus is the one who did the work on the cross. All we can do is believe. It is by his grace that we are saved that we do not, we do not deserve, but he gives it freely as a gift to those that would be willing to receive it. And in doing so, when we are saved, he looks at us and he says, come on, follow me. Come on. Follow me. Don't worship that stuff anymore. Follow me. And you see, we suddenly look at everything very differently when we get to this point in our faith. We suddenly see opportunity with the things that we own and the money we have. We, we, when, when you switch gears to this place of going, I wonder what I can give to. I wonder what I can do for somebody else. Um, side note, just, and I, I was going to talk about this earlier on. Um, we have right now in our church, uh, it feels like to me umpteen million people with great need. I, I can't tell you. I mean, you guys know that we live in an area where there is, there's uh, a lot of issues, uh, be it drug, be it poverty, be it whatever it is. Uh, I have four situations right now on the table that there is no way one person alone could help these families, any one of the four. Um, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm praying, I'm asking you to pray with me as a church that we're going to have to put out some way that we collectively go and help these people. I don't think we can wait for a serve Sunday to come. I'll put it that way. Uh, and it's going to take physical, like going and helping uh, some of these people. And so, uh, and, and some of them need guidance in what to do at this point in their life, like, even, I can't even get into all the details of that. I'm sorry. I know that some of that doesn't make sense. Uh, but I ask that you would pray. Pray for these families. I know you don't know who they are. Uh, we'll be, hopefully this week, uh, even divulging just kind of some ideas of some prospects of like uh, maybe picking some Saturdays or something to just go and just help some people 
Um, and so just be praying about that. But I, I just say all that to say, you know, God's called us to be the church. God's called us to be the church, and he didn't call the government to be the church. And he didn't call, God love them, any other little groups that are in our community to be the church. He's called us to be the church, to be the hands and feet, to go out and minister, to go out and be Jesus to these people. I know that I know the heart of our church is that we want to do that. I know that it is. I know that you're sitting there going, okay, Chris, come on. Let's put it on us. Let's go do it. Uh, and so just, just be, be looking for that uh, as that probably will come through social media or something this week. Um, I just see that. I just see, you know, because that's time. That's, that's money. That's resources. That's, you know, giving of yourself is, is often more than just, you know, uh, raking some leaves for a few minutes or something, you know. Uh, to get emotionally invested in people's lives and to truly serve others. And some of you, you know, I, here's the truth. If I know a four, you, probably, you may know a four too, to all I know, you know. And, and that's just the deal is that there's probably so many other people that aren't willing to pick up the phone and call on their own behalf or for the behalf of somebody else. I do praise God that we are part of a church that people do call on behalf of other people though. Uh, so thank you if you're one of those people that have been doing that. Um, go back to verse 26. It says, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I think, I think that that's a, this is a great reminder for us this morning. We, we are not the ones who can save ourselves. And even doing good things for people, we don't do that because we feel guilty. We don't do that because we want to feel better about ourselves. We do that because of who God is in us. And we know that he can be glorified and seen in us when we go and minister to those people and love on those people. With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, he's talking about he and the disciples. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I told you this is a big, big old honking passage. Jesus answers Peter's question with a reminder of something that is good for us today, and that's to be reminded that God will provide what we need. And he's saying there, look, there's no one who's done all this stuff for the sake of the gospel who will not receive back a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands. He's saying, look, I got you. I got you. You follow me, I'm going to take care of you. It may not look like you thought it was going to look like. 
may not be that mansion on a hill, may not be a lot of money in a bank account, it might not even be a nice car. Oh, and by the way, it'll come with persecutions. You see how Jesus threw that in there? Jesus doesn't try to sell them up the road on a Cinderella story. Jesus gives them reality, but he also gives them the reminder that that God provides, number one, and number two, that there is something to come. And he says, and in the age to come eternal life, we will live forever. We will live forever. He says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. You know, Jesus ultimately made himself last. I mean, if if you're talking about, if you're talking about the line and you had everybody that has ever been a part of creation in the line, Jesus literally put everybody in the line before him and he went all the way to the back. And he gave up his life on the cross. Gave up his life on the cross. You see, the rich young ruler, you know, he had an issue. And the issue was idolatry. You know, what's, uh, what's, the, what's the first uh, commandment? You know what it is? Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the one right after that is about making idols, that you shouldn't make idols out of things, out of gold and all this other stuff, you know. Jesus left those out because he was trying to connect with this guy and help him to see that it wasn't just about trying to keep these things because the truth is, is we can't keep those things. We can't keep the commandments. We're sinners. We're sinners, And you say, well, Chris, man, that really kind of, you know, kind of gets me down when you say that, you know, that we can't keep the commandments and we're sinners and all this stuff. Like, well, it's true. And the truth is, is it's really good for us to hear that because it's this reminder that because since we can't do it, Jesus did for us. Let me say that again. Because we can't do it, Jesus did for us. You see, it's that's why that it's in his death. That's why it's in him that we put our faith. That's why it's in him that we trust in him and that we can be saved. It's this amazing thing that Christ has done for us, that God has done for us. Money, possessions, give a false sense of security, doesn't it? If we get enough of it, we think, oh yeah, we're, you know, we'll be good to go. You know, we're thinking down the line, nothing wrong with playing ahead, nothing wrong with playing ahead with your money. You know, but, but if we're not careful, we, we fall into this cradle, which is where the rich young ruler was, where it becomes about those things in this life more than it becomes about following God and saying, okay, God, instead of you know, putting all this away, what can I do with it for your kingdom? What have you called me to do with it? The young man was doing so many good things that Christians fall into doing. He was checking off the list, doing the right things. The problem was that he lacked faith in God over faith in his own works and possessions. He was making himself God. Remember what he said? Good teacher. He thought it was about being good. But then what did Jesus say? Well, nobody's good but God. 
And so he, in essence, was trying to be God by being good, even if that's not what he thought he was doing. And he was blind to his own idolatry. And I think that truly a lot of us probably are in that boat too. A lot of us, if, if we just kind of take a moment and we think about like what is the most important thing in my life, is it really God? Is it really our relationship with him? What is it? His God was money. His God was his possessions. What did it say? He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus made himself last that we might be first, that we might go before him. Matthew 6.24 says this. I think this is a very telling passage. I think this is in the uh, uh, readings, the yearly readings for this coming week, just so happens. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I think just for this reminder that, that Jesus understands our hearts better than we do. And I think that we've got we've we've to latch on to that. We've got to remember that. We can't fall into this trap of thinking that we've made something for ourselves to take care of ourselves. God is the one providing. God is the one who takes care of us. Interestingly enough, back in verse 22, where it says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The word there that is translated for sorrowful, uh, or in many translations, sad, uh, is also translated uh, grieved. Grieved. And, and so, say, well, how do we know this? Well, uh, for instance, when Jesus goes to the garden to pray just before he is going to lose his life on the cross, uh, if you'll remember, he is grieved in that situation. Now, I think that, I, and, and Tim Keller is the one that put me on this, so I'll give credit to him on this. Uh, the, the reason why we think that grieved is probably the better wording to be used even in this situation is, and you say, well, Chris, this is talking about this guy and his possessions. Yes, I know. But when Jesus was grieved in the garden about what was about to happen, he was grieved to be separated from the Father. This was, this was, about, this was about his, like, knowing that he was not just going to lose his life momentarily, but he was going to be separated from the Father, separated from all, all that was good. I think especially the Father here is, is the key. He, he didn't want to be separated from his Father. Now, we, we can understand this. We, have, we love our family. We don't, we, we don't want to be separated from our family. Some of you have been separated from your family. You're still grieving that, maybe. So in, in the midst of this, we see Jesus being grieved. Same word as what this guy was experiencing and I think that to say disheartened by what he was saying, he went away grieved for he had great possessions is probably a better translation. He said, Chris, why was he grieved? Why would he be grieved? He didn't want to be separated from his possessions. Jesus didn't want to be separated from the Father. 
and the level of, of his not wanting to be separated and grieving that, I think was probably the same. He went away. I would say differently, if he stayed and repented and said, God, I'm so sorry. I've been, I've been loving this stuff more than I've been loving you. I've been loving, I've been loving my position of being the great Gatsby of the early days or whatever it is, you know. And instead, what did he do? He left. He left. And today, the question for us is, are we just going to leave? Are we just going to leave? Are we going to realize that sometimes more money means more problems? And that we just have to be careful with that stuff. It's not, in essence, of itself bad that God might allow us to manage great things or whatever it is, but, but we've we got to check our hearts. We've got to make sure that we don't love those things more than we love him. Jesus was grieved. But you know, even with Jesus being grieved, he still went to the cross for us. And I'll just be honest with you, I think that's amazing. We got a guy who's grieved over here and he can't even leave his possessions to follow Jesus and yet he wants eternal life and he's talking to the Son of God. Jesus was grieved to be separated from the Father and yet he still took death on our behalf. That if we would trust in him, if we would believe in him, that we should be saved. And I think that's amazing. This morning... Uh, if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ to be your Savior, I want to say to you, we would love to talk with you about that. We'd love to pray with you about that. No guilt involved. I don't want to guilt anybody in anything. Just, I just want you to know that if the Lord's speaking to your heart, that we're encouraging you to listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. Come talk to somebody. We'll be down here during our communion time. We'll be here after the service is over with. As long as we need to be, we'd love to talk with you about that. For those of us that are believers, you know what? We just need to be careful. We need to check ourselves. We need to see. We need to see what would grieve us. And we need to be willing to face that and make sure that God really is the God of our lives and that Jesus really is our Savior and not something here and now that we've made up on our own.